Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. We're thinking about being devoted to the breaking of, the breaking of bread, and I, I kind of feel like this morning, uh, <laughs> as if it's a bit like standing at the foot of El Capitan in Yosemite, um, and sort of gazing up at that and trying to explain what it's like, what it feels like to to stand there uh, and to see kind of uh, this this rock. I, I kind of feel like really I just want to stand there in awe <laughs> and not say anything. And when we're talking about some of the things that we're talking about this morning... I feel the same way. I kind of feel like I just want to stand <laughs> in awe of of what of what God has done um, as we look at what He's done, and we're looking at really the greatest love story that has ever ever been told. Uh, this is the greatest the greatest love story that there is and that exists. And even, you know, novelists (laughs) take this story and use it um, because they recognize that you can't tell a greater story than the gospel and the message, the message of the gospel. And this love story communicates into every single culture on planet earth and into every nation on planet earth because it just is the greatest, most amazing love story that, that exists. And, uh, we uh, are his, uh, the, the, the bride of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ. And we are his, are his church. And we are getting ready to be with him forever. And we are eternally grateful for what he, he has done. It says in, in John 13, it says, I new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 15, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And when we come to communion, uh, to taking the, the bread and the wine, it tells us that this is at the heart of the church. Uh, that sacrificial love is the heart of the gospel 
and the heart of the community of the church. It is the greatest love story um, that's ever told. And it puts at the heart of the church and, and as us, as of, of our community, when we take the cup and when we, we take the, the, the bread, the substitution of Jesus, uh, it keeps it as the main thing uh, in, in the church and, and in our community. And um, in, in our verses in, in Acts 42, it says that, let me just find that for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to, and to prayer. And it brings front and center this thought, this truth of the substitution of, of Jesus for his church. And it was right at the birth of the church. And uh, Jesus said, didn't he, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. We can't understand the substitution of Jesus unless we understand the old Testament, we can't fully grasp the cross unless we understand the Old Testament and where it takes us. And in in the Old Testament, we understand um, that the sacrificial system was set up to say that God is angry at sin. And there is a penalty to pay. God is angry at sin and there is a penalty that needs to be paid. And so when the purpose of that sacrifice in the Old Testament was so that the worshipper could still draw near to God, but God was propitiated in that process his justice or his anger for sin and he had mercy so they would take the priest who wanted to come near would take an animal and that animal he would put his hands on that animal and when he put his hands on that animal the sin was being transferred from him onto onto that animal. And not only that, but his guilt for that sin was a picture. His guilt was also transferred onto, onto that animal. And sin in the Old Testament was dealt with in a substitute. It was covered. And when we come to the New Testament, they're all pictures of Jesus. It's all a picture of Jesus and, and who he is and what he 
what he has done. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's what it tells us in, in Hebrews. And it points us to the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, his death means that a life has been laid down. His life has been laid down for you and for me. So in Hebrews 9, 12, it says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of, of God. Jesus is our substitute. He took, Jesus took my, my sin. He took my sin. He took it on himself. On the cross, I stood there shouting, crucify, (laughs) crucify. He took my sin uh, upon, upon himself. And so that picture of substitution is at the heart of the gospel and why we take the, the cup, why we take uh, the bread and we, we take the wine. There's a, a, Shiran- a Sri Lankan evangelist and he kind of communicates this idea of the substitution by the illustration of if you cut yourself and you, you have a wound, then your white blood cells go to that wound <laughs> this is a horrible thing, but it creates pus. And those are actually white blood cells that are dying to give you life. So it's very interesting, isn't it, that even in, the, in our natural, in science, in our system, in blood itself, there is substitution in the nature, in the nature of, of blood. So the essence of this truth is that Jesus is acting as our substitute. He fights the powers. He pays the price. He bears our sin and our punishment in my place. And in your place. He is our substitute. And we see that in this scripture. It says that they were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It's a picture, isn't it? In this 
passage of the greatest love story for every culture, every time, every nation, of the substitutionary work of Jesus for us. And uh, it says, take eat, this is my body. We take the, the, the bread and we, we share in the benefits of what Jesus has accomplished for us. We've worshipped this morning and we've got pianos and guitars and, and, and we've been blessed by that. When we come to worship at the Lord's table, Jesus has invited you. So in terms of your worship, this is one of the areas where you have been personally invited by Jesus to come to this table. He has asked you to do this. And he has asked you to take the cup and to take the bread. The church has not asked you. It's got nothing to do with that. Jesus has instituted this worship at the Lord's table. So he invites you to come and to take the bread and to take the cup. He is doing that. And the fact that we are invited is a foretaste. It's like having the pre-invite. Sure, Hannah and Sam <laughs> have sent out their invites. This is Jesus sending you the invite. So every time we share the bread and the wine, you know that you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the pre-invite every time we share in the bread and the wine. And so we experience lots of things when we take communion. We experience joy. We experience sorrow. We experience thanksgiving. And we experience a deep love for Jesus when we come and we share at the Lord's table. So when we when we look at this scripture um, in Acts, we see that up focus, we see what we've been talking about, what I've been talking about to you, is that up focus of that relational focus with Jesus as we come and we share at uh, the Lord's table. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's a future hope here as we take the bread and the wine. And um, we, we see that when the, the two men encounter the disciples uh, in Acts 1.11, uh, they, they, they're still looking at Jesus who's gone into heaven and two men appear and say, don't do that. Look ahead straight away. He's just gone. Don't, don't stare. Look ahead. Look to the future. 
And this table is looking, keeping us looking uh, to the future. Um, in, in Acts 2.20, it says, talking about the Holy Spirit before the great and glorious day um, of the Lord. There's a future orientation with this table. And we have the first fruits, it says in Romans 8, of the Holy Spirit. So it's like the Holy Spirit in us is the first fruits of the harvest of the cross that we are experiencing now until the full benefit of uh, the cross and our salvation. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And we celebrate the Lord's table as a foretaste um, of that. So what does the Lord's Supper say to one another? We've thought about up. What does the Lord's Supper say to us as the church? Um, There's a quote here. um, It would be easy to love God in the isolation of our faith. It would be easy to love God in the isolation of our faith. But he gave us the church to test the condition of our hearts. Your identity has two parts. Who you are in Christ and who you are in community. Our identity has two parts. Who you are in Christ and who you are in community. So the Lord's table brings front and center the forgiveness of Jesus. In our lives and in our relationships. And we value one another as we, as we take this table and we ask for forgiveness because of the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. And every one of us comes to this table and we ask the question, are you, am, am I right with God today? So we are presented, whenever we take this table, with that question. Um, And that's why, in a move of the Holy Spirit, this table is so important that we have. um, It says that they did this daily. So the gospel, the truth of the gospel that they were living in, their victory, was reminded as they were breaking bread daily. Um, as, as they came to this table. And for a move of the Holy Spirit, keeping short accounts with one another and a right relationship with Jesus is front and center um, represented through, through the table. In Corinthians it says, for those who eat and drink, Without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment uh, on themselves. And the word for discerning means to separate or to discriminate, to um, separate out. And so we have an opportunity to separate out 
the issues when we come and we take uh, communion. Uh, We can come to the cross and find uh, forgiveness and find grace towards Jesus and towards one another. And so we don't need to be highly intelligent or um, we don't need to have theological training. We just need to have self-examination when we come to this, to this table. And it protects us, the body and the church, from overclaiming and underclaiming. It reminds us of our equality in the gospel and our access, our equal access. And it keeps, it keeps that at the heart uh, of, of us. And so we can sometimes think that we're right in our own eyes and we can overclaim. We're overclaiming something. But when we come to this table, our pride has to fall because when we look at what Jesus has done for you, took your sin, then any kind of hobby horses or issues, they're, they're not, there's no place. And so we don't overclaim when we come to this table. And we don't underclaim. We don't say we're not worthy. We're made worthy through Jesus. You can come. You can come for cleansing. You can come for nourishment in the gospel. You can come for, for healing. We're all accepted here. And the issue in Corinthians was inequality. And you know some were being treated unequal at the table and that was not right when you look at what this table means it's doesn't exist but in acts we see that equality that they all shared that's why the spirit was working freely because they had that that understanding that they're all equal and they're all sharing and it says So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this table represents that. It's a picture of that for us. So I want to talk a little bit why about one of the emphasis of this talk was why is it important for a move of the Holy Spirit? So I want to focus on that now for um, a, a little bit. Why is taking communion important for a move of the Holy Spirit? And I think the answer is found in Romans 8, uh, 1 to 11, which we're just going to look at uh, for, for a little bit. 
where it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of what? Of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh, what? Have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the spirit. And I think this is why the table is so important and in the move of the Holy Spirit in Acts and why there was such a move of the spirit of God um, that it tells us here that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't, I've, I <laughs> can't grasp. <laughs> there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what it's saying is that God's mercy has triumphed over his judgment. Remember that there's a penalty for sin. God's mercy has triumphed over his judgment in your life. So therefore, in your life, your relationship with God in Christ is there is no condemnation because of the cross and the gospel is just so amazing (laughs) that that is what has happened. No condemnation. That's what you, you were. No condemnation in your life. Mercy has triumphed over judgment. And it says this in Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of what? Our legal indebtedness, the penalty, which stood against us and condemned us. He, Jesus, has taken it away and nailed it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Then it says this, 
Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. There is a mandate with the gospel that it's not just about what we do. It's about how we think. God is concerned about how we think. We have a responsibility before God, not just to manage behavior, but in the gospel, and I read the teaching of scripture, that we and you and I have a responsibility individually, we carry it in the gospel about what we think. I read that in scripture. Philippians 2. Let me just read a couple of verses there. Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, and if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being What? like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. There is a responsibility uh, that we carry in the light of the gospel because mercy... This is the important sort of it. Mercy has triumphed over judgment. And our brains are still wired sometimes to the old nature. And we want to judge. We want to ask for justice sometimes. But mercy has triumphed over judgment. God has done that in himself. So what right have you or I to judge, to be negative, to be negative towards other members of the body of Christ, to be negative towards the church? This is the truth of the gospel and maybe, just maybe, the breakthroughs that we want to see, we carry more of a responsibility in the gospel, to see those things. That you and I are responsible for the spiritual warfare in this church, right here. Because when you make judgments, you open the door to the law of sin and death, where the accuser of the brethren, the enemy, has trafficked for centuries. And he will take that ground that you give him, and he will affect the atmosphere of here and you and I have the responsibility of spiritual warfare we carry it with us because this is an internal gospel as a substitutionary work how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your what your conscience from dead works to serve the living God this is no longer external to you the gospel is at the core 
of your being, your mind and your heart. And you carry that responsibility. Every single one of us. Because that's how great the gospel is. And I challenge you today to lay down anything that you need to lay down in the light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you carry. I, when we give, when we talk to you, we don't bring words that we don't try to do ourselves. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm trying to do this myself. You know, I'm trying to lay anything down and living from the mind of life and peace because just like you, I carry that responsibility of spiritual warfare for this church, for you, the body. This affects you. I want to read to you from Genesis 6 and these verses just really impacted me recently because I hadn't kind of seen them before. Um, just a couple of verses. Uh, Genesis 6, 5 to 7. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every action and behavior. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it says every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil what all the time that means like god saw no hope there wasn't any thoughts coming out of those those hearts and minds for a change he just saw evil and the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deep his heart God's heart was deeply troubled so the Lord said I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created there is therefore now no condemnation what Jesus has done I can't grasp what he has done. The magnitude of what he has done, I can't. (laughs) There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Mercy, mercy. Mercy has triumphed over judgment in your life. Get it? He's done that. Mercy. His mercy. It was my sin that caused Jesus to go to the cross. Mine. And his mercy. I have received mercy. I have to give it away. I have to give mercy away. How dare I start judging and be negative? I need to live from the peace that I have in Christ that Jesus has won. 
in my mind and in my thinking. We have received his mercy. And as ever, <laughs> yes. Um, in Corinthians, Paul talks about forgiving forgiveness. Interested, it's that church that had the issues around the communion, but he talks about forgiving so that Satan will not outwit, will not outwit us. Check your thought life at the Lord's table. Come in repentance. There is a river of life. The Holy Spirit is here to cause us to walk in freedom. And the victory, the victory that Jesus has won uh, for you. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You will. We do. I do. I will reap what I sow in terms of my mind. Because... We carry the responsibility under the gospel. This is such a great and precious gospel. I mean, I can't put it over to you. I can't. I can't. (laughs) I can't. But I hope that something, (laughs) what I've said this morning, will encourage you help you to see that you can live in a mind of peace yeah peace and joy in the holy spirit this isn't about religion it's about a relationship it's about righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit and I haven't got time, but the words that it talks about, it talks about in Acts 2, about them being glad, agaliasis, it means extreme joy. This was a community full of extreme joy because they understood what God had done for them. So we're going we're gonna to come and we're going to take um, communion. I just want to mention one, one more thing, which... I thought was important to mention. And this is something that John Arnott um, talks about. Um, In James, it says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he, he talks about that sometimes we feel that it's culturally acceptable to not seem to be reacting emotionally to things um, and appear to be in control. It can be culturally acceptable um, to do that. And it's, it comes from the Greeks. It's called Stoicism and it's embedded in Western culture. So in our culture, we have learned to be tough emotionally and not to express emotion. Well, The Holy Spirit is not a stoic. He isn't. There's a sensitivity to God and a release in emotion. He's not a stoic. 
in the Greeks, they, they denied their emotions so that it can be free from passion so that they don't express extreme joy or tragedy. It was a way of protecting themselves from tragedy. But that's not the culture of heaven. That culture is not our culture. The Holy Spirit is who he is. And it's okay to express our love, our emotions. Um, Daniel Romans had, had been in the ministry um, and hadn't believed it. And he was trying to preach justification by faith and he still didn't feel it. But then there was one Sunday morning in a communion service in his little church. He was reading the liturgy in connection with communion. And when he came to the words, Christ's precious blood, as he was reading those words, the Holy Spirit just fell on him and he wept. And he wept. And he wept. Let's open our hearts to him. And I'd like us to come to communion. And I want to give you an opportunity together to respond. As I've been speaking, if there's anything that's been coming to your mind, or maybe there's a conviction of some things that have come to mind, I want us to just pray together and bring them before God and just give ourselves that opportunity to put those aside and put those down and then we're going to come and we're going to take communion together it's, we, we carry that responsibility to live in the mindset of life and peace I hope you've seen that this morning that mercy mercy has triumphed over judgment and there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.